You're listening to 17 Karat K-Pop. For more information about this show, as well as my other show, Enthusiasts, previously called How to Stan, visit 17caratkpop.weebly.com. And sign up for the show's free newsletter for interviews and much more at 17caratkpop.substack.com. Thank you! Welcome back to 17 Karat K-Pop. Today we are talking about all things new jeans. Why this girl group is already so, so buzzed about. Secrets to their success, all things you need to know about them, and some thoughts and theories about their music video world. First things first, the basics. New jeans, spelled one word, is intentionally a play on words. Referring to new jeans, the fashion statement, the staple in people's closets, like they're the staple, this timeless group. But it is meant to also reflect new genes, G-E-N-E-S. Like a whole new generation, a whole new era, something new is in their genes. Something new is in the DNA of their work. So they combine the trait of timelessness with a new type of trendiness in originality. This girl group was originally set to debut in 2021. But for pandemic-related reasons, it got pushed back. So it actually started with auditions being held and plans really getting underway back in 2019. Then, in 2021, things changed and it got moved to ADOR, Adore, a subunit of Hybe slash Big Hit Music, the first group from Adore, All Doors, One Room. We'll talk about the interesting founder of that subsidiary in a minute. The lineup wasn't official official though, officially formalized fully, of the five members until March 2022. They are very Gen Z. Their age range is 14 to 18. The fandom are the bunnies. It is the year of the bunny. So in a cosmic sort of way, their popularity makes sense too on that level. They are also just set to shine with a distinct brand image that they use a bunny mascot to summarize. The bunny is their main icon and their fandom name and the theme of their light stick. The members include Minji, Hani, who's Vietnamese. Hani and Minji actually were both in the Permission to Dance BTS music video. Danielle, who's Australian, and got her star on shows like Rainbow Kindergarten. She was also previously on Xinhua Broadcast, Harin, and the Maknae Lee Hayen. She was previously part of this kids group, Uso Girl, in 2017. Then part of Play With Me Club, this YouTube collective, and she left that group in May of 2021. Hani, Harin, Minji, Hayen, and Danielle. So some of these members have been getting a bit of fame before for TV appearances, video cameos, etc. But their names, or their stage names at least, were not disclosed right away. All of a sudden, out of the blue, their debut video attention got attention. July 22nd, 2022. That was when attention came out before the names or anything. In the K-pop world, that was super rare. The go-to is to debut a group by teasing the members one by one, maybe showing some behind-the-scenes footage of each member, or a song or dance cover from each member, a taste of what they auditioned with, what attracted the recruiters to them. Highlight their strong suits and get to know them a bit more. Sometimes there are pre-debut reality shows, web series, some way to familiarize yourself with the group quite a bit before they actually officially debut, and it builds up the suspense that way. This group flipped that on its head, and instead got people talking because they didn't give any warning, any heads up, any chance to sort of have this parasocial relationship form. They just dropped the full debut video and let people wonder, who are these girls I've never seen before? 
The next day, they released Hype Boy and confirmed their names. And the members got different versions of the Hype Boy video. So it was kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure style viewing experience. Which member's perspective you want to take as you watch the story unfold. Then came the Hurt music video, which showed a softer side to them. And then the Cookie video, August 1st, which is when their official EP came out. And at that point, all the music videos were out then for the four tracks. So there were zero B-sides, basically. Their debut was all title tracks, all singles promoted as such. This self-titled release sold over 440,000 copies, just in pre-orders, helped the group become the first female Korean act to get their four first tracks on top of Spotify's daily chart, and helped them break records for the highest one-week sales record for a girl group. No girl group debut had previously sold more copies in its first week, and they sold over 440. And remember, that was already before official release, so that was just counting pre-orders. Massive hype is the point. No hype boy pun intended. Then August 4th, a few days later, there was the broadcast debut for this group on the show M Countdown. Around the late August-September time frame, the group got their first paychecks. And in the K-pop world, that's unheard of. For rookie group members to so quickly get a paycheck rather than wait maybe even a year or more before a return on investment starts showing up, this was kind of, in a way, a bit unprecedented. And of course has allowed them to keep promoting their work like this by making each track a single with its own music video. That can get expensive. They released two versions of another video, Ditto, December 19th. One is a first-person view, and the other is a third-person take on the situation. To accompany Ditto on a two-track EP, OMG came out, January 2nd, 2023. This has surpassed 480,000 sales in one day. Remember I said before 440,000 in the first week, now 480,000 in the first day, for two songs instead of four. It also topped iTunes in nine countries. Some other recent accomplishments... A bajillion award show wins. Four at the Asian Artist Awards, two at the Asian Pop Music Awards, one at the Mellon Music Awards. Attention earned over 1.3 million views in its first 24 hours. They already earned their first music show win, another achievement that often takes literal years for a group to do. They also topped the Idol brand ranking as of January 8th, 2023, surpassing Blackpink and IVE. For most in-demand girl group in the brand space, which explains why Danielle already has that Burberry ambassadorship. And now, just six months after debut, the group's cumulative sales has well surpassed 1.5 million. Again, feats that often take years to accomplish for a group, they are doing with less than 10 songs in their discography. So now that you know what the group is all about, let's talk about why they are all that. Why they're the it girls of the moment, what's the big deal? It'll help clarify first to get to know Min Hee Jin, who created the group. She actually made a cameo before in the Global Audition promo video back in 2019 for this group. So her name has been all over it from the get-go. Yes, it transferred companies, but from the beginning, she has stuck with it. It's her vision. She used to be the leader of visual direction at SM Entertainment, behind looks like Chinese Misconceptions era, Girls' Generation, especially the G era. You can thank her for every time you go to the mall, end up just seeing a row of colored jeans, and that's enough to make you automatically think of Girls' Generation. It's thanks to her that these timeless styles have taken on new meaning. 
She added this refreshing, fresh-faced, classic, clean style to a specific era of Chinese discography and SM Entertainment's vision as a whole. And you can definitely see that stylistic influence on a group called New Jeans. She also previously worked with XO. She's to thank for the Growl era, kind of preppy high teen look, but with quite a twist. She's also worked with Red Velvet, FX, etc. But she then became HYBE's chief brand officer, home to BTS, TXT, etc. So from making her mark at SM, to doing it at HYBE, to just forming her totally own sub-agency within HYBE. She's always leaving a mark. A lot are also invested in her literally. Among the big four K-pop companies, yes I'm counting HYBE officially now as part of a big four, not a big three, she's the only woman actually who gets a salary over 500 million won. That's over $380,000 a year. It's interesting, though, because she is an executive producer for the first time as the leader of New Jeans. And she's also, ironically, been quite successful and a, an outsider because she doesn't really have a music background. She's a visual director for groups. She works on the creative aesthetic stuff, but not the music end of things. So to have the music tie together so well with the visual components of their story, I find very interesting how she pulled that off. And she has viewed them as intrinsically linked before. Like if you're good at understanding a certain group aesthetic that works, you can be good at figuring out what kind of sound would work and vice versa. She's often said the music is the message, the music is also the product, the concept, things to that effect. Phrases about, look, music today is heard with your eyes and ears. You have to get their attention both ways. That's why the group has such unique packaging, big eye-catching images, a know-it-when-you-see-it logo instantly, a very distinct look to their albums the physical albums that goes with their the aesthetic of their sound. They exist in this aesthetic realm all their own. That's very singular. It's all pieces of the same puzzle. Another way to put it is that the details that are part of the physical merch are parts of their narrative, their music video world. It's all related. That's what some of the best groups, I think, and the most successful groups objectively have done, right? TXT, BTS, they do work that is factors in all those components. How your album can be not just an album, but the physical album can be part of the story. I mean, I think the best example actually is TXT, or Seventeen, of course, but like with TXT, think about the Eternity era and the key and lock symbolism, and then making the physical album an actual diary that users can write in and lock up with a key. That sort of next-level way to promote an album and give it a distinct look, make people want to buy it, and when they buy it, they feel part of the story, swept up in the story, much like they do watching the videos. And New Jeans are really good at the immersive, make you feel like you're a part of the action approach, because like I said before, their videos are kind of choose-your-own-adventure with different versions. Their merch also seems to tap into this nostalgia a bit, and we'll get to that later. When Min Hee Jin originally pitched the idea for this group, admittedly, it's understandable why people were like, what the heck? People really paused for a minute, like, this sounds boring, this sounds plain, what do you mean your whole group concept is bunnies and a laid-back look and a no-makeup makeup look and just casual streetwear and not doing their hair or makeup fancy, just young teen girls looking like young teen girls. This is a concept. But she was like, trust me on this. I'm not budging here. This is what I'm going with. Sure enough, she was right. She had the right instinct. 
So now let's get to my 10 reasons why she was right. Why this group is poised to take over. Why they're resonating so much. What's the big deal? Here's what I think it is, just psychologically, sociologically, etc. Overall, why people love new jeans. Number one. Like I said, the no makeup makeup look, the overall refreshing vibe. Because they just dress their age, they clearly just dress like the girl next door. They aren't being pressured to look older or younger. Younger so that they would be like practically fetishized or older so that they would be just uncomfortable in a different way. They're just themselves. And it's also kind of an interesting just juxtaposition because there are a lot of groups who go all out. With the glam, the stylish hair and makeup, the bold outfits, the just big fantastical maximalist campy style, they just don't do that. And adding on to the package deal concept, they don't do that ever. Like, not just in their music videos, but photo shoots, red carpet appearances, other things outside of their whole musical career. They stay kind of in character, for lack of a better term. Plus, their wardrobe is very Y2K with the aesthetics, which is having a big moment. Trends always seem to, especially around the 20-year mark. So, of course, we're living in 2003 again. A new generation grows up and gets nostalgic. This always happens. So it was kind of the perfect time for this group to latch onto that trend. Number two. Like I said before, the choose-your-own-adventure style videos and stories. Like with Ditto, OMG also has different versions. And they're called A-side and B-side, like a cassette tape. A-side and B-side versions, which add to the nostalgia I've been talking about. Cassette tapes were probably a bit before 2003, but you know what I mean. It's the throwback. They're leaning into nostalgic influences. There's always some appetite out there for nostalgia, and they are finding their own way to tap into that. By being like, look, here's a way we can provide you with an experience that is different depending on A-side or B-side. You choose. I also just think with the vinyl popularity lately, the resurgence, cassettes are bound to be up there too this year. Trust me. Not for practical reasons, just nostalgic reasons. Maybe psychological reasons too. Number three, the storylines. Not just that there are different ways you can take on the role of the omniscient narrator or otherwise see yourself in the story, choose your perspective shift, but also because the stories are just kind of down to earth. Again, kind of a counter to a maximalist, larger than life set design, cinematic landscapes, drama galore, soap opera level, big bang-esque drama. No shade to any group that goes all out. I'm just saying I think that's why they have a special appeal, because so many groups do go all out. And they do a great job with it, I love that stuff. But I think this is why they are intriguing people, because they're not doing any of that. They are just making videos with plots like trying to woo a crush, trying to flirt with a crush, or just hanging out at school. Very just low-key. They also have this home movie style look to the filming. So again, the nostalgia factor in the sense that these are just average girls going through life. So the unique way of storytelling in the pretty basic premises that everyone can relate to or reminisce about, remembering how they felt at that age. Granted, they do take some inspiration from movies and stuff that are a bit more out there, but we'll get to that. The storylines also stay pretty relatable and I think appreciated because they don't just dress their age, but they act it too, and their lyrics are pretty classically a teenage set of lyrics too. You know me and my deep dives on discographies. 
You know I love the artists who philosophize, who wax poetic, who find very artful ways to at length elaborate on a specific abstract concept and all that stuff. But again, I think they tap into the appeal of keeping it simple. Their lyrics are pretty straightforward, what you would expect. Now I know there's the whole cookie song controversy, which I could spend an enormous amount of time sharing my thoughts about, but that song aside, their songs have been very viewed as just age-appropriate and classic teenage diary entries, basically. Number four, the unique vocal style. This, I honestly think, accidentally taps into trends. It's almost ASMR style. Their delivery, it can be kind of hushed. It can be kind of understated, subtle. It's impressive, but it's very, again, not maximalist. It's just subdued ways of proving you have powerhouse vocals. It's pretty, yeah, understated is the best word for it. And each member kind of sings in a unique way. It makes a lot more sense that they do this when you know that they actually have trained with different vocal coaches, like with different sessions. So each member has been recording songs, working with a coach and practicing recording in their own specific way, the way they want to deliver lyrics. So each song has a very, just a different, a new feel compared to the groups where they all sing in unison or they have a lot of chanting. That kind of stuff seems to be common these days in choruses. And again, I'm not trying to shade anyone ever when I say this stuff, but I'm just saying I think this is technically the actual reason this group is standing out to some people, whether they realize it or not. This may be what draws them to them, makes them stand out. Another kind of going against the grain by going back to the basics aspect about them is the choreography which is not like your typical choreography that is very tight and in sync, polished, intense. It's more loose, it's more freestyle-like, it's kind of more easy to join in on, but in a different way. So you have easy to join in on like they make it look easy, you have easy to join in on like they want you to do a viral TikTok about the dance, make it a trend, and then there's this new kind of easy dancing that's more legitimately easy. Not just making it look that way, more of a ruleless, a no rules style. Like you excel at the dance easier because the rules are more lax. They don't worry about making a polished, very sharp routine, which goes with the easygoing nature of everything else about their look. There's also, like I said before, the whole concept of the year of the rabbit. So the cosmos, the stars are aligning for them, just naturally to be so big. It's also interesting that they took on that bunny hat trend and the bunny aesthetic that was popular in K-pop a couple years ago, really. Those bunny hats were so popular at fan signs and stuff, and they basically repurposed a trend. I don't know if that was intentional or not. That bunny hat popularity definitely did not hurt the attention. I also do want to bring up the fact that Hybe helped the hype start at a higher bar than it would otherwise. That doesn't detract at all from New Jean's talent and hard work. But if you're asking what makes them so popular, we should be real here and just say, well, one factor you can't ignore is the fact they're affiliated with HYBE, a subsidiary of a company that brought you BTS. I mean, there's no way that doesn't help with pre-debut buzz. So they already started off on a higher likelihood of success footing than other groups would because they're not from an underdog company. I officially do consider Hive part of the big four, not one of the, the stragglers below the big three anymore. So one, their no makeup makeup look and style that's trendy but timeless, nostalgic but just still practical and simple in a way that stands out for their genre and industry. 
two distinct vocal performances and an almost ASMR-style delivery at points. Three, they're choose-your-own-adventure storytelling, which is more and more the norm the past decade with Netflix shows like Kaleidoscope and the Bandersnatch special of Black Mirror. Very you-get-to-choose-what-happens viewing experiences. Those are being attempted more and more, it seems. Streaming in general kind of has that feel of choose-your-own-adventure too, and you get to kind of seize control of what part of the narrative you focus on when. The timing is up to you more than ever. Okay, so one, the looks, two, the vocal delivery, three, the style of storytelling, four, the relatable storylines, and just the acting their age, for the most part, vibe, five, the hype that inherently helps give you a boost promo-wise when you're affiliated with Hybe, six, the stars align for them, it's the year of the rabbit after all, they're prime for big things, cosmically speaking, seven, the choreography in its unique style for the moment, Eight, the merch and emphasis on a package deal. The music is the concept, as Min Hee Jin says. Visually and auditorily, you need to give a release equal care and attention in both ways to keep viewers intrigued. Number nine and ten, the unique promo rollout schedule and timing of the releases. First of all, with the promo schedule, it was smart. It got people talking. Like, who are these people? Because they didn't have teasers or anything. And they just released a video called Attention. That was your first intro to the group. It also was just smart because they made sure each song got its time in the spotlight. I mean, I wish more B-sides got tons of love, but to be honest, I'm pretty sure a lot of K-pop group songs that are B-sides just don't get the attention they deserve. There should not be such a big gap between A-side and B-side love in terms of appreciation, but that's a rant for another day. You can get fans to realize how good a song is and revisit it once it gets the music video and singular promo treatment. And they made sure every single one one of their songs had that appeal. Minhee Jin has also intentionally kept in mind this rewatch factor. The way that K-pop is extra appealing because you can go back, revisit the video, and see something new hold your attention each time. Maybe it was just the visual color scheme or something more surface level the first time. Then you go back and you catch Easter eggs or other plot devices. Then you might see a an interesting chronological timeline clarification, a hint at the timeline, or other ways it connects to past stories. There are just different layers to the work and the rewatch factor she wanted to lean into, but again, in her own way. Again, not dissing them, I'm just saying how they're different technically. You might go back to rewatch for the symbolism, the reading into the deeper meaning. This group, you go back to just try to clarify whose perspective shift it is and fill up the holes in the narrative left intentionally for you to determine what really happened. It's a little bit of a mystery. And as for the unique rollout schedule, it was spaced out impressively to keep the buzz going. Like you ended the year, for example, with Ditto. Ten days later... OMG came out, then the album with both songs as a duo. So you end the year with a memorable new song and start the year with another memorable new song and put them together. Also the fact the debut videos were spread out by not many days, but still staggered releases. The staggered releases of videos for each song is just the way to do it. Especially in an era of so much on-demand binge entertainment, maybe there's an appeal with going back to kind of episodic, sequential media consumption. So that's why I think she really knew what she was doing with this group and what would work. 
This interview quote from her really is interesting to me. Quote, In my opinion, a good concept isn't something that can be defined just by one factor. Even if you can't exactly put your finger on it, something that makes you feel complex feelings yet attracts you is what makes a truly great concept. Unquote. And she later said, quote, My biggest goal is to transform that curiosity into something tangible, to actually go listen to the music, since the new concept I wanted to showcase was the music itself. Unquote. Again, she says the music is the concept. I just find it very interesting how she says a good concept is what you really can't put your finger on. It just triggers complex feelings in you, draws you in, and you can't 100% define why. Come to think of it, this actually kind of goes back to what I was saying in my latest episode before this shameless plug of NCT Talk, talking about how why I think NCT is so popular, because they are so weird, and they have such a unique, specific vibe going for them. And so when you don't know what it is, but they have that something special, that it factor, that is a million different variables working together to pull it off, that is the it factor she's talking about for this group. And I think they have a similar one that is both somewhat describable and somewhat indescribable. I think New Jeans have that too. Because you might still be saying, what's the big deal about this aesthetic so much? Why is it so appealing? I can explain why it's appealing, but what is indescribable is the depth to which that is appealing. Hopefully that makes sense. It will be interesting though in the future to see if the girl's total lack of a celebrity veneer affects the intrigue in them. For example, when I saw NCT in concert, yes, I'll probably find ways to work that memory into episodes of the show in the future way more than anyone cares to hear. Sorry about the annoyance, but you've been warned. Anyway, when I got to see them and have a dream come true moment, I can't help but acknowledge that they looked like celebrities. Like, they looked, even in their casual attire for more laid-back performances, their boyish charm, no matter what they were, they looked like celebrities. They just had this like sheen of are you for real angelic features. They look like they had kind of an aura, maybe all in my head, but there's something about certain people when you see them for the first time in the flesh or like, oh my gosh, how are you real? And you're extra starstruck. I don't know if they would have the same effect when people see them because they intentionally just look like your high school peers. So I wonder if that lack of a weird, unreal aura to their cool look is different. Like, by being the opposite of untouchable, if they don't look untouchable, if they just look like you, does that limit the starstruck factor when you meet them? And does that matter? Does that affect how invested you are? Like, if you walk away from a new jeans fan sign feeling like you just met a peer, does that have a different level of fan freakout behavior and a stronger memory for you than when you might meet an NCT member, for example? How much you walk away feeling starstruck and honored to have been in their presence versus maybe just feeling comforted chatting with a friend? How much does that affect the appeal long term? Is it a double-edged sword to make the stars the opposite of untouchable from a marketing perspective? I don't know, just some thoughts on my mind. Curious what the reaction is if the novelty of this concept wears off. Are they redefining and expanding who can be considered a superstar? in the eyes of fans, or are they just putting their own spin on it? Many thoughts come up when wondering about their appeal, and that's exactly what Min Hee Jin has been talking about. This appeal that is hard to nail down, but you know it's there, that is the culmination of so many factors working in their favor. I do want to share my personal music video theories, but first, one more thing about their appeal. Never underestimate how important it is that members of a group like each other. 
Like, that's it, period. They need to like each other. And it just doesn't work if they don't have some organic chemistry to work with. Maybe they're not the best of buds, but at least on a professional level, the dynamic has to be a certain way. And Min Hee Jin really did take the time to let them bond, and not just with each other, but her. And she knows their families. She's even known by some of the parents as the Korean mom for those girls. So it's very sweet. And like I said before about the vocal coaches, she does prioritize what each individual member wants to do with their style and sound. She just really keeps their preferences a priority. She said, quote, The most important thing was to find a harmony that was not forced. We all know how hard it is to work with a colleague who we don't get along with, unquote. Exactly. You're more likely to have good chemistry if you keep members in good spirits and let them stay autonomous express their individuality. They've done that in a way, I'm not saying content-wise at all similar, but just template-wise, debut format-wise, they kind of did what helped Luna generate buzz. Luna's appeal was they revealed one member at a time, separately, where you could meet the members individually, then see the whole. I mean, with them, they released a group-wide video, then individual videos. But the point is that they generate buzz by getting you to kind of spend time getting to know each individual member. Then you figure out who your favorite is, and you end up becoming a fan of your favorite's friends, aka the groupmates. So it's a way to really get interest in a group through whatever specific member catches your eye. No matter what the descriptor you choose to use for their sound, make sure the word alternative is in front of it. It is just very alternative. Alternative whatever. Fill in the blank. But it's alternative alternative music that all somehow still sounds like it's from the same group. Ditto is a prime example. It's got this faint house music element to it, but is mainly this remix of the Baltimore club genre. So first they released Attention, where they're all just getting dialed up, ready to go out with a guy and woo him. Then there are the Hype Boy videos. There was an intro one. Then individual ones, although two of them teamed up for one of them. They came back together for Hurt, then Cookie. What I really want to talk about are the newer ones. Ditto side A and B. Then there was Hurt, the 250 remix. And then OMG. Ditto side A is just a happy high teen concept. These friends are at high school hanging out. But Hisu's love interest catches her eye. The scene switches and she's on a couch alone, nursing this arm injury. And then cue the flashbacks, and it seems like the person she's filming in the past is an imaginary friend. So we have a friendship issue, and we have drama with just crushing on someone, not knowing how to handle it. So we have an issue with a crush and a friendship issue simultaneously. Side B is the omniscient perspective, watching Hisu argue with friends, the other members. Long story short, it gets heated, Hisu leaves the school, and she's reminiscing, now with another nostalgic twist with a VHS tape. Side A, she's recalling a memory that's blurry because of it's just her memory. Now she's recalling based on what's on the tape. OMG is an interesting kind of fly-in-the-wall feel to it as well, and it's an interesting mix of influences, hip-hop, R&B, trap, so in the OMG video, more of the theme of blurred memories. They're patients in a psych ward, and they're trying to recall pre-amnesia what life was like. And they each have a different recollection of how things went down. So it's like maybe they need the VHS tape to clarify. Or maybe the VHS tape was all in her head, just an imaginary scene. They never had any proof of anything. It's hard to decipher what's true and what's not. The end credit scene shows someone drafting a tweet, but before it can be sent, the nurse says, okay, it's time to go, and she does not hit submit. 
this tweet said something about the girls should just, quote, show their faces and dance, unquote, which is a nice dig at the haters who say they need to just shut up and dance, basically, as opposed to tell more of a narrative, and they refuse to. So before this Twitter troll can get away with it, the nurse whisked them away. So are they calling their haters psychos? That's one interpretation. The man who is observing their group therapy session, basically, attempts at recollecting memories, at piecing things together. He's kind of in awe staring at them just silently there. And when the tweeter and the rest of them have left the room, he's stuck kind of with their stories. What they talked about and recalled as a group and thought were coming to life around them come to life around him. So now 2D animations fill the scene outside the big windows. So is it in his head too now? Did they plant it in his head? Is that all him? Not at all related to what they were saying? A lot is up to interpretation. And the fact we're talking about the past, present, and future being blurry makes the lyric about I knew this would happen take on a whole new meaning. I've opened up before about my own mental health challenges before and dark times with that on this show, so I personally don't care for when artists use this as a theme as just like a concept for one comeback. So I'll be patient and see where this story goes, but that does taint my liking of the video. I don't like words like crazy or psycho being tossed around, but I do think context is important and I'm trying not to be too annoyed by it because the intent was to emulate some of the lessons in a movie that I'm not a fan of either, but it is does have the potential for starting interesting, worthwhile social commentary conversations. So I'm keeping an open mind about where the story goes, but this is my way of saying it may not be for everybody. So trigger warning here, but they do talk about some intense psych ward related stuff that they are paying homage to in a way from a movie from 2006. A rom-com, but a very different kind of rom-com praised for being so different, for subverting expectations, which actually is very fitting given this group doing the same in music. This rom-com, quite successful and influential, is called I'm a Cyborg, But That's Okay. I'm a Cyborg, But That's Okay is about a woman named Young-Goon, and she's in this institution after an incident where she tries to hook herself up to a power outlet. She thinks that she's a cyborg. So she's in there, later learns actually that her grandma was institutionalized too for thinking she was a mouse. Young-Goon is falling in love with this man, a fellow patient, Il-Soon, played by Rain, the iconic K-pop star, and he thinks he can steal souls. So he kind of is chameleonic. His traits change a lot. He's not a consistent character because he views himself as able to use this great superpower to co-opt different personalities and then just return them. Like he's returning clothes on a sales rack or something. She's very angry. She holds a lot of resentment towards this institution. Not just because that's what patients often do, grow resentment towards those who took their rights away, or they think took their rights away, but also her mom's been kind of neglectful. Her grandma was her kindred spirit, removed out of her life forcibly by these people. She calls them the men in white, and she wants revenge on them. So she eventually asks if Ilsun can use his soul borrowing power to borrow hers just completely so that she can be soulless have no conscience, no qualms, and kill these men in white. Go on a rampage for revenge in her grandma's name. He does, and she goes on that rampage. Both of those things are in their heads. They are in their own fantasy world, this whole movie, basically. There's lots to unpack with this movie. 
which makes the rom-com category kind of misleading because again there's a lot to take away from it deeper meaning wise if you don't think of it as just a humorous tale there's the fact that she was trying to plug herself into the outlet which was interpreted as a suicide attempt and it could have been but the viewer's supposed to think it's just they misinterpreted it and she really just thought she was a robot she also looks batteries and stuff she really thinks she's a cyborg, and there are a lot of ways that can be kind of a metaphor for someone who feels entirely out of place, even in their own life. Like, they're not the main character of their own story. The movie then also ends up dealing with the thought of consciousness and a conscience, and if you can have guilt or not, and how much your conscious state of mind might factor in. It's also about kind of finding a sense of self-worth and something to be proud of. Youngoon is an obsessive radio listener because she thinks the radio gives her a tutorial, lessons on how to be a better cyborg. She wants to be the best she can be. There's the fact that she had an emotionally absent parent. That definitely affects her now, as well as having a more emotionally kindred spirit, her grandma, taken away. There's also something to read into in the fact that this hospital is called New World. That did make me think of new jeans, as did the fact that Ilsoon wears a rabbit mask a lot. Ilsoon has a fear, with a lot to read into as well, of shrinking someday. Like literally just becoming a tiny dot, a speck in the world. So that fear of being turning invisible and kind of obsolete to people terrifies him. So he doesn't know who he is, but he's not trying to find out in a productive way. Because he's trying to find out by borrowing other people's personalities. Rather than just asking himself, what do I like? What am I like? Who am I? There's also something to read into in the fact that the other psych ward patients believe him. So they think he is kind of this holier-than-thou ruler over them. He's a magical being, so he can run this place. And that power can be intoxicating. There are also some intense scenes I would not recommend watching if you have a personal mental health challenge history, like I said before, which I do, that's some intense stuff. But it does raise some interesting questions about the nature of community, feeling like you belong, and finding your identity. There's also an inability to connect with the world around them, which is extra amplifying their love for each other because they can't rely on others to fulfill emotional needs in their lives. Spoiler alert, the movie ends with them hugging under a rainbow after going through the storm together. The storm and the rainbow, you could say that was once again in their head. Maybe that was real. That question remains. A big part of New Jean's story, both the OMG video and before that, has been what's real and what's not. The 2D animations have been present before OMG. The different perspectives, the different ways of recollecting what happened to you really and how much was in your head or misinterpreted, that's been a common theme. The sense of just going through life trying to be your truest self. So I can see why this movie has inspired them. Then of course there's the new world term and the rabbit mask. So my ultimate condensed theory about this. I have many thoughts in the works that I will elaborate on in a future episode. The one main thing I take away though and interpret their catalog with in mind, my overall theory can be summarized as this. New genes are doing what Hybe artists, including the subsidiaries of Hybe, do so well. I think they all grapple with the lines between dreams and reality. How your conscious versus subconscious mind affects your life. What's a dream versus what's in your head. That blurring of the lines takes a very abstract, symbolic, philosophical, and fantastical nature in TXT's world. And in BTS's work, 
It also takes on the supernatural air in in Hyphen's world. So with new genes, I do think they're talking about the same main theme of reality and dreams, but they're doing it in a very different way. They're doing it in a very realistic fiction kind of way, a very literal way, not like symbolic and abstract. What does it mean to be dreaming versus in real life? They save the philosophizing for the others. They're like, no, literally. What just happened? What was a literal dream? And what literally happened? And so the lesson in any Hybe or Hybe subsidiary character's main story, okay, how do I bridge the worlds? In the case of TXT, BTS, etc., what do I want to take from the dream world and turn into my reality? How do I want to do that on a metaphorical level? And then New Jeans takes that same concept, literal. Like, okay, what dreams were a good sign that I should do this? That's how I interpret it. They intentionally keep it ambiguous, so it's up to you to decide who you believe, whose recollection was right, and what was in people's heads or distorted. But I think the bottom line is they are trying to figure out what really happened, but trying to piece together their past following an amnesia spell. They almost have a Hannah Montana story, I think, where new genes are like their alter ego, their famous side that they don't remember having, and now they're nobodies. And they, I think, have to pick up the pieces, figure out who they are outside of their dream job as singers, and who they are outside of work. I think the hospital setting is like them post-fame, and they're trying to recollect what it was like when they were famous and getting so much praise. When all that went away, what did they have left? And how do they find themselves again? Outside of the praise, finding other things to sustain them. So the others, other high artists, are all about, hey, what can we do to better our life and who we are internally? They're more like, who am I in the first place? And externally, in the quote-unquote real world, what has shaped me? Piecing together what literally happened versus just at a deeper level and at a metaphorical level, what happened. That's my thought, but I'm still processing a lot so that may change over time. Feel free to share your own thoughts and theories with me as well. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today to my guide to new genes, and I'll talk to you all again soon. Bye, everybody.